Guys, it's good to see you. Glad you're here today. Uh, I just say I appreciate so much uh, the guys that have shared these uh, stories so far and for their willingness to be very transparent about struggles they've had in their lives and how God is working. And uh, I hope, I'm pretty confident, they've been an encouragement and uh, spoken to a lot of different people in different ways. And we've got some more of those stories uh, coming up in the weeks to come. Uh, when I was growing up uh, in the Midwest, and even again when I uh, was going to uh, college in Cincinnati, there were a few times that I uh, went to Kings Island, which is a large amusement park in the Midwest. In the middle of Kings Island is a replica of the Eiffel Tower. Now, it's uh, a lot smaller than the real thing, but big enough, tall enough for a guy that's afraid of heights. And I don't know how, but there were a couple of times, two or three times, that people friends, family convinced me that I needed to get on the elevator and ride to the top of the Eiffel Tower. I don't know what I was thinking. I got on the elevator and, and you know, as soon as the thing takes off, I you know, realized this is a really bad idea. But the doors, of course, would get to the top, the doors would open and I would step out and then I would step alongside the wall. And I would stand and hug that wall basically the whole time we were up there. As far as I was concerned, we couldn't go down soon enough. Uh, and get away from them. I'm sure the view was great, you know. I'm sure the people that were out along the railing risking their very lives were enjoying that view. But not me. I stood there as motionless as possible thinking, let's get out of here. In our series, Elevate, we're talking about taking our lives to the next level. And as we elevate our lives, we are talking about how we can change our view, how we can see life very differently. And honestly, for some of you, maybe as we talk about elevating our lives, there is a sense of fear or apprehension. You're thinking, but Jeff, I have grown pretty comfortable with life just the way it is. Why would I want to risk going higher or deeper in my relationship with God? I think I'll just kind of hug the position that I'm in. Because I don't want to take the risk. But I want to assure you this morning, that if you will take the risk, it is worth it. Because life lived at a higher level is better. It is worth taking life to the next level because the view of life is so much better. Now in this series, we're looking at the Christ followers, early Christ followers that we find in the book of Acts. And we're seeing how they did some things. There were some things in their lives that allowed them to elevate and live at a different level. And so we're looking at some of those things and trying to figure out how we can apply those to our lives. But you know what we're really doing? We're really looking at these early Christ followers and we're discovering how in their lives they were becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's really ultimately the goal of anyone who says they want to be a Christ follower is to become more and more like Jesus. And so these tools, these attitude changes that we're talking about, really are helping us not only to elevate our lives, but also to become more and more like Jesus. Let's review for just a moment. The first week we talked about the importance of reading your Bible every day so that the wisdom of those pages gets from the pages of the Bible into your mind and your heart and your actions. And we challenge you very clearly to read your Bible every day. And a lot of you said, you know what, I'm going to give that a try. And we had a moment of accountability last week. We'll go ahead and do it again this week. How many of you read your Bible every day this week? Yep, some, quite a few of you. Not quite as many as last week. Hey, let me encourage you. You know, it takes a while to build the habit. And if you miss a day or two, that's okay. Jump back into it and get busy reading. 
Last week we talked about learning some new elevator etiquette. And we talked about the fact that Jesus told us to love our neighbor. And He even gave us a great illustration of exactly who our neighbor is and how it is that we would go about loving and caring for them. And that when we care for those around us, it changes our perspective on life. And I hope that as you encountered people this week, you looked at them a bit differently and you saw them as the neighbor that Jesus asked you to see them as. Well, I want to look at another tool or attitude change this morning that can elevate our lives. Several months ago, I uh, started planning a trip that I want to uh, take with my uh, two sons. Uh, They're getting along in high school now, and I know that our time of getting away to do guy things is running out. And so I uh, began planning a trip. Now, you know the thing that we like to do. Uh, We don't go fishing or hunting. Great things, but not my deal. For us, it's college football. And uh, so uh, next weekend, I'm taking the boys away. And we uh, you can't get tickets to actually go to Ohio State unless you have lots of money or know the right people. But um, you can get tickets when they go play other places. And so we're going to Indiana to watch the Buckeyes play uh, the Hoosiers. Now, I planned this months ago, got all the details worked out, but I wanted to keep it a secret. And, and for several months, I did keep it a secret. But you know what's really hard for me? When I'm really excited about something, something that I'm going to do or give somebody, it's so hard for me not to tell them. And I wanted to tell them so many different times, and I kept it a secret until two weeks ago. And uh, I, I explained it away. You know, my cop-out was, well, they need some time to kind of prepare so they can be excited too. The truth was, I couldn't stand it any longer. I had to tell them about this trip that we're going to take. It's just hard, isn't it? When something happens to you or when you have good news, you just want to tell people, don't you? That's exactly what was true of these early Christ followers. There there was something that had happened, something that they had experienced. They had some news that they had experienced in their lives and they couldn't help but tell others. I want to look at a story today in the book of Acts that I think you'll see why they had this excitement and how it is they went about sharing this good news with other people. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up to Acts uh, chapter 3. If you're looking for the book of Acts, it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, and then you'll find the book of Acts. The book of Acts is short for the Acts of the Apostles, and it's really the story of what Jesus' followers did after He left this earth and went back to heaven. If you get to the book of Romans, uh, you've gone too far. We're going to look at what happens in Acts chapter 3, and really we're going to kind of look at the beginning of the story, then we'll jump kind of to the end of it, and then we're going to come back and pick up what happens in the middle. So as you start Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are headed to the temple for afternoon prayers. It's about 3 in the afternoon, and out of their Jewish heritage, and because they worshipped God, they were headed to the temple to spend some time praying, as was their habit. Now, as they were about to enter the temple on this day, there was a a lame man, a crippled man, who had been this way since birth, who was laying by a gate named Beautiful. And he was asking for money. I don't know if he had his guitar case open and playing a few tunes or probably not. But he maybe had a little bowl that was sitting there of some type. And I'm sure as Peter and John came by, maybe he rattled a little bit to get their attention. Well, Peter and John see him. They kind of lock eyes. And maybe when they lock eyes, the guy thinks, yeah, you know, if once they look at me, you know they're going to give me some money. Well, there's a conversation that ensues beginning in verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. Now, I'm sure at this point the lame man thinks, Oh, great. 
Here's another guy, no money, but he's going to give me some free advice. Just what I need is somebody else telling me what I need to do. Well, that's not what Peter does. What I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And people began to notice. I mean, I'm sure husbands and wives kind of elbowed each other and said, isn't that the guy that we just saw, the lame man that's at the gate every day when we come here? Look at him, he's walking. And a crowd begins to, to gather around, he's excited, and they begin to ask questions. How did this happen? Who healed you? How, did, how are you walking and jumping and leaping? And the lame man grabs Peter. It kind of holds on to him as if to say, he did it. Well, now the crowd is really curious and wondering what's going on. And Peter, Peter sees an opportunity. Peter sees an opportunity to, to give a little speech, to preach. And of course, the people were willing to listen. I mean, if you saw somebody heal a lame man who had been that way since birth, you'd probably want to hear what they had to say. You wouldn't care if they were a good speaker, if they had good illustrations, if their material was good. You would just listen, wouldn't you? And so the crowd gathers around and Peter begins to Teach them. Well, the religious leaders see what's going on. They hear or have heard all this commotion and they kind of come in to see what's going on. And they see amidst this crowd, there's Peter and John and they hear him talking about the dead carpenter from Nazareth. And they think, oh, here we go again. You know, it's one thing that these guys still believe that this dead guy, this dead carpenter from Nazareth, that they believe he's alive. He's been dead for days. And yet it's another thing that they just keep talking about him everywhere they go. But you know what? Peter and John, in the religious leader's mind, they had crossed the line on this day. Because not only were they talking about Jesus, they were doing so in the temple. And that was unacceptable. And so the religious leaders barge in and they arrest Peter and John and they throw them in prison. And I'm sure they thought, let them sit in prison overnight. That'll shake them up a little bit. That'll get their attention. Well, the next day, the religious leaders gather together and they bring Peter and John in and they kind of question them a little bit. And Peter sees another opportunity. And Peter stands up in front of these religious leaders and he gives another little mini speech or sermon to these guys. These guys are baffled there. What do we do? They send Peter and John out of the room and they kind of have another little powwow discussion. What are we going to do about these guys? Oh, their great solution is, hey, we'll bring them back in. We'll have a little talk with them. We'll kind of talk sternly with them. We'll tell them they just can't keep talking about Jesus. Just be quiet about the Jesus thing. And we'll send them on their way. And probably after they've had this night in prison, that'll take care of it. But pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 18. They had their little powwow. They bring Peter and John back in. Then they, the religious leaders, called them, Peter and John, in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied in verse 19, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Now here's something interesting about this story. Do you realize these religious leaders and Peter and John worshipped the same God? They were all Jewish men. They all respected the temple. They valued their heritage. They weren't talking about some God that was different. They were all on the same page in their religious views and in their view of God except for one 
disturbing difference. Disturbing to the religious leaders at least. Peter and John kept wanting to introduce Jesus into the equation. And the religious leaders kept saying, just leave Jesus out of it. But do you know why Peter and John were so insistent about including Jesus in the conversation? Listen to verse 20. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John say, we have seen and we have heard. There was this historical moment, this thing that happened in history that we experienced, that we have seen and heard, and it has so impacted our lives, we can't stop talking about it. Now, it wasn't as if Peter and John someday said, you know what, they went over in the corner and had this meeting and said, you know, we're getting kind of bored with Judaism. You know, those stories in the Old Testament, we hear those same things over and over again. They're getting kind of old. We think we need to spice them up a little bit and introduce a new character into these stories. No. They had seen and heard. They had experienced something and it had changed their lives so dramatically that they say we can't stop talking about it. Do you remember when the uh, U.S. Airways Flight 1519 had its kind of splash landing in the Hudson River? Can you imagine if somebody would have said to the crew and to the passengers and the people who were involved in that incident on that day, if they had said to them, now I know this is kind of a big event, but we don't want you to ever talk about this again. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? Can you imagine for those people who were involved, that event changed their lives. That historical moment What they saw and heard, what they experienced, changed their lives forever. And I am guessing in the days and months and even years that followed, you can't get them to not talk about it. Because it has so deeply impacted their lives. And Peter and John are saying, Jesus and what we have seen and heard from Him and what we have seen and heard happen to Him, has so dramatically changed our lives, we can't stop talking about it. Peter and John were just sharing what they had seen and experienced. You can't argue with that, can you? And you know what? Someone really can't argue with you when you tell your story about what you have seen and heard and experienced with Jesus in your life. Sometimes we try to make it complicated. We try to make it intimidating. Sometimes when we think about talking about Jesus, we think it's like teaching a class in comparative religions. And we have to somehow be able to answer all of the questions that anyone might ever ask us. But that's not the issue. The issue is what have you experienced in your life because of Jesus? And Peter and John were simply telling their story. Who could argue with that? So what was their message? What was this simple message that they were sharing with people about their experience? Well, if you go back to the middle of the story in verse chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter four, verse twelve, or verse five, I'm sorry. Here is back, this is back when Peter and John were first arrested. And Peter has that moment where he, hey, here's another crowd, I'll give a little, another little mini speech. Here's what he says. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. 
Annas, the high priest, was there. Now, the high priest, that's a big, that's a big deal. The high priest is the only one who was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, the area in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was. You know, the Ark that if you touched it, you would die. He was the only one that was ever allowed to go in there, ever allowed to touch it. So he, he was, it was a big deal. Caiaphas was also there. Caiaphas was like a, a former high priest. So he, so he was a, he was a big deal too. And then there's, it says, and John and Alexander, and we don't know exactly who those are, but I suppose if you would have said those names back in their day, people would have gone, they were there? People would have asked, how did you get all four of them in the same room at the same time? This was a big deal meeting. And the other men of the high priest family, verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? What power or what name did you use to heal this lame man? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Then he goes back and quotes a little Old Testament prophecy. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. You know what Peter was saying to them? By going back and quoting that prophecy, he was saying to them, hey guys, by the way, you know that Messiah that was predicted in the Old Testament? The, the one who would come to save the nation of Israel? Well, guess what, guys? You made history. You're going to be in the history books now. Because he came and you crucified him. It's a pretty bold thing to say to them. And then he says this in verse 12. And here's his very simple message. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Very simple. Peter's message to them, the way to salvation, the way to have hope, is Jesus. And you know what? It really is that simple. Now sometimes we have tried to make it very complicated. Sometimes when we've thought about talking about Jesus, we've acted like you have to know 16 steps and be able to explain them thoroughly before someone could ever understand the story of Jesus. And sometimes we've thought, well, I've got to go through it. I've got to memorize these 10 verses out of the Bible. And if I can't quote those 10 verses or show them where they are in the Bible, then I shouldn't be talking about Jesus. But you know what? When you look at the New Testament, you see that when other people talked about what they had seen and heard and experienced, it was a very simple message. In fact, I want to show you one verse in the Bible, probably the most familiar verse in the Bible. People may not be able to quote it, but they know the reference at least, John 3.16. They've seen it on signs at ballgames, if nothing else. I want to show you how in this one verse you could show somebody the simple message of Jesus and how they could respond to His gift. So look at this verse with me. If you have your Bibles, in fact, maybe you want to open them to John 3.16 because you might want to draw some circles around some of these words. But here's what it says. Four words here that you can remember and use to tell somebody about Jesus. For God so loved. You can circle the word love. For God so loved the world. God loves us. And you know what? Sometimes that is so hard for us to accept, isn't it? Because we look at ourselves in the mirror and we see all of the mistakes and the failures. 
We see the stuff that we did last week that we are embarrassed about or that we have struggled with. We think about the things we did when we, we were a teenager. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. But you look in the mirror and you see someone and you sometimes think, I'm not very lovable. I don't know how God could love me. But the Bible's story is so clear. And what Jesus demonstrated is so clear that God loves every one of us. He loves you. Regardless of what you have, have or have not done in life. He loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave. That's the next word to circle. His one and only Son. Because of God's incredible love for us, He sent His Son, His only Son, to die on a cross to pay for our sins. Jesus, who had never done anything wrong, who had never sinned in His life, came to earth to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Because you know what? I have sinned. And when you look in the mirror, you know that you have sinned as well. And some kind of penalty had to be paid for that. Just as someone who breaks the law in America has to pay a penalty for breaking the law. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. That's how much God loved us. Enough that He would give His only Son to die on the cross for our sins. So God loved God gave. Now what do I do in response to that? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him. Now that word believe really isn't about having some kind of belief system. It's not saying, well, I've got to understand all of the Bible before I could ever respond. I've got to understand how it is that God created the world before I could respond. And I've got to understand all these theological things that I hear people in the church talking about. That I've got to have my arms all the way around all that. Now, this word believe is the idea of simply placing your trust in Jesus. Maybe I could use the stool to, to demonstrate. You know, when do I really trust this stool? When I stand over here and look at it? If I come and stand really close to it? No. If I walk all around it and just keep examining it over and over again, do I trust it? No. It's not until I sit down on it, place my weight upon it, that I really trust it. When do I trust Jesus? When I stand at a distance and admire? When I walk around and around and examine over and over again what the Bible says about Him? No. It's when I place the weight of my life in His care. And I let Him become the leader of my life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes or places His trust in Him shall not perish, but have, that's the next word, eternal life. And if you want to make it rhyme, you could change the word have to receive. If I place my trust in Him, I have or I receive this incredible gift of eternal life, which isn't about living forever. This gift of eternal life is about having a relationship with God forever, about getting to spend eternity in His presence in heaven Basking in the glory of God. It's that simple. That's the simple message of the Gospel. That's the simple message that Peter was sharing on this day. It's just about Jesus. God loved. God gave. I believe. And I receive. There are some of you here this morning 
that I hope that cuts right into your hearts. Because you've walked around the stool examining it for a lot of time, wondering about God, checking it out. But you've never placed your trust in Jesus. God loves you. He gave His Son for you. Why won't you trust Him and receive the gift of eternal life? And then as you read farther in the book of Acts, you would see that people who understood that and accepted that and placed their trust in Jesus were baptized, were immersed in water as a way of publicly declaring to people, hey, I am placing my trust in Jesus Christ and I'm going to follow Him. Some of you today need to take that first step of placing your trust in Jesus. And in response to that, you need to be baptized. Put down underneath the water as a public way of declaring, I am placing my trust in Jesus. We're giving you that opportunity later this morning after our second worship experience. I already know there's some people who are planning to go to a pool that's just a few blocks away from here and to be baptized. And if you're in this service and you're thinking, you know what? You're right, Jeff. I need to do that. Then why don't you make that today the day that you do that? You come back here just about 12 o'clock and meet us right down here in the front of the auditorium after second service. We'll show you how to get over to where we're going and we'll baptize you today. And if some of you want to come back at 12 and go and watch and celebrate that, you're welcome to do that with us. Here's the bottom line of this story. Anyone who experiences it can share it. Anyone who has experienced Jesus in their life can share that experience with someone else. You know, as I look at these people in the book of Acts, it seems like they were in the regular habit of doing it. Because sometimes, as I've said, it seems overwhelming, it seems difficult, it seems intimidating, but it's very simple. And these people, Peter and John, And the other Christ followers in the book of Acts seem to have simply made it a part of their everyday habit in life to share what they had seen and heard and experienced in their lives. Why am I so confident that they had made it a regular part of their lives? Because of what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. It says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day. There were people who were placing their trust in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus' followers were sharing what they had seen and heard. Can you imagine if there were emails from our office going out to the people at Crosspoint every day telling you, hey, here's the name of somebody else who today placed their trust in Jesus Christ and publicly declared their faith by being baptized. That would elevate our lives, wouldn't it? Imagine if you on a regular basis had friends who because you were sharing what you had seen and heard and experienced, they were placing their trust in Jesus Christ. Talk about elevating your life. Talk about changing your perspective. The kind of joy that comes when you get to see lots and lots of people placing their trust in Christ. That changes our perspective. See, these early Christ followers were sharing what they had seen and experienced. They had a higher cause And the telling of their stories was elevating their lives. And if we could get a hold of this in our lives, it would elevate ours too. And it would change our perspective and change our view. God, I thank You for Jesus who died on the cross 
so that I could have eternal life. God, I thank You that You loved me and that You gave Your Son. And I thank You that there was a day back when I was 12 years old when I believed and received and publicly declared it by being baptized. Thanks for what You've done in my life. God, forgive me that there have been days that I haven't been sharing what I have seen and experienced. God, would You help me every day to elevate my life by sharing what You've done in my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to share in a time of communion as we do every week right now because it's a very wonderful and simple reminder of the cross and of Jesus' gift to us. It's a simple reminder of those four words that God loved, God gave, and if I believe and receive, I can be His follower. So as we share in this time, they're going to pass out the emblems of communion in a moment. It's just a moment for you to reflect on Jesus' gift, to kind of examine your life, maybe if there's been sin in your life, to confess that before God, and to just thank Him for His love. If you'll take the bread as it's passed and eat it whenever you're ready, Hold the cup of juice and in a moment I'll come back and pray and we can take that together. Spend these moments remembering. God, I thank You that You loved and You gave. I thank You for Jesus. God, I thank You for the cross. In His name we pray. Amen. You can use the buckets along the center aisle to, uh, to dispose of your cups. Let me say to you, uh, if you're thinking, you know, when I... 
never trusted Jesus with my life and I need to do that today, even beyond worrying about the baptism later, if you just would like to talk to somebody, uh, Brad and I will be down here in the front as our service wraps up and um, we'd love to talk to you about uh, how you could place your trust very simply in Jesus. Well, uh, we've been uh, doing some interactive stuff with this message series and um, asking some questions on our uh, Facebook group page. And uh, this week, in response to my question, I got back an incredible story that I want to uh, read to you with the young lady's permission today. And uh, I want you just to hear how God has worked in somebody's life right here at Crosspoint. So here's the story that she wrote. One time there was this girl who every day in middle school, well, she'd sing church songs. One day another little girl asked her what she was singing and why. The Christian girl replied that she was singing songs she had learned in youth group. The non-Christian girl wanted to sing songs too. She did not like the fact that she did not know the words. So that Wednesday, the Christian girl brought her non-Christian friend to her youth group. And there, the non-Christian felt very out of place and like many people were judging her. When the youth pastor began talking, he spoke of a retreat the middle schoolers were going on that coming weekend. The girl looked around and saw many people talking about going. So within two days, the girl came up with the $100 to go. She didn't know anyone in this entire church except for the friend who brought her. When she confronted the pastor asking if she could still sign up, he smiled and said how happy he was that she was able to get the money. That Friday when it was time to go, the little non-Christian girl started thinking that this was a bad idea because she didn't know anyone. Later that night, however, she was introduced to some amazing worship songs. And during the time of how great is our God, the little girl fell to the ground and tears flowed from her eyes. And then people all around her, some not even from her church, bent down next to her and placed their hands on her in love. She was unsure why she was crying, but her chest had this booming, exploding joy deep inside, and suddenly everything clicked. She began to realize that though she had made ample mistakes, God forgives everything and still accepted her, and even more so, He wanted her. She thought, wow, how great is our God. And from then on, her and the Christian girl became such close friends. But what the Christian girl did not realize is that when she brought her friend to youth group that first week, was that that weekend, that non-Christian girl was planning on killing herself. And that non-Christian girl was me.
Thanks for joining us here today. Go out and spread the good word about what a great God we have. Take it easy. Yeah.